Ronaldo vai partir para a bola, Ronaldo, Ronaldo vai partir, paradinha, atirou, golo! Já está! Já está! Já está! Hello and welcome to Portugal podcast number 107 and today we have a very special pod entirely dedicated to the Seleção and Euro 2016. We'll be hearing from several of Portugal's squad members throughout the show but first of all let me introduce two people who are perfectly qualified to talk about all things Seleção. First of all Portugal's Seleção correspondent Nathan Motz will be joining me, traipsing around France, covering Portugal this summer. Nathan, how are you? And how excited are you about the upcoming tournament? I'm doing great, Tom. Always happy to be here. And I, I think this is going to be a, a really special tournament for Portugal, uh, for Ronaldo, for so many key players. So I'm really excited about it. Yep, you're not the only one. <laughs> okay, also on board, we have Simon de Souza, another... Portugal expert on the national team and also FC Porto of course. Hey Simon, it's been a forgettable season for your beloved Porto. Will Portugal be bringing you some joy from France? I certainly hope so because I'm ready to forget uh, about, well, the last three seasons now of Porto so hopefully we get some uh, good Celestial matches this summer. Yeah, okay. Well, to kick off with, I'd like to talk a little bit about the message of extreme confidence manager Fernando Santos has conveyed ever since he was appointed the Portugal coach back in September 2014. Uh, we can really see the, the confidence exuding through himself in all his press conferences and also his players, as exemplified by José Font when I spoke to him after the France friendly a while ago. You know, we, are, we have the best player in the world, we have uh, top, top players that play in the best clubs in the world, in the best league. We are, a, we are a force and we want to win every game and we play every game to win. So, of course, when we go to the Euros, we, wanna, we have the, the ambition of winning. So, and that's the mentality that uh, the manager passed to us and that we have. Nathan, Santos has insisted that although Portugal are not one of the main favourites, the team will be fighting to win the tournament. And it's a message repeated ad nauseum ever since by all the players. It's actually quite unusual for a Portuguese team to go into a tournament with such bravado. Uh, I remember Scolari, of course, uh, he was always quite cautious leading up to tournaments. Even before 2004, he said that uh, Portugal's aim was to get to the semis. And uh, then I suppose most of the examples since then have just been the old take it one game at a time and let's see what happens. But Fernando Santos, as I say, is uh, really from the outside said he thinks Portugal should aim to win this tournament. Do you think that's a good strategy, in your opinion, uh, Nathan? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, question. I think that uh, when when we, we look at champions of prior tournaments, and this is something that I've taken a look at. I'm actually writing an article right now that I'll post this week on Portugal.net um, that just has a look at some of the factors that all champions seem to have in common. And one of those is you you want to have a, a message um, delineating kind of a clear or ultimate goal, and there has to be a very strong belief. Uh, that, that, that may seem to be uh, pretty straightforward, but it, if, if you look at teams that go into tournaments more cautiously, 
um, history shows and statistics show that those those teams normally um, fall by the wayside. I'll, I'll give an example, and this is not obviously not to offend any fans out there, but um, England has a strategy that's notorious for coming into tournaments cautious or actually very pessimistic, and I think it, it's something of a um, self-fulfilling prophecy for them. They don't they don't ever inspire in the kind of confidence and belief in their players and their fans so as to encourage um, a winning tournament run. And I think for this reason, or this is one of the reasons why they haven't been beyond the semifinals of a major tournament since 1966. And so um, looking at what what Santos is saying, what the players are saying, I think it's very encouraging that they, they actually realize uh, what they have, uh, the talent, uh, belief in each other and in their own individual abilities and in the team collective that they can actually do something in this tournament and whether or not that actually plays out is entirely irrelevant it's very psychological and I think it's it's a very uh, smart strategy for Santos and I think the players uh, certainly are buying into that and, and that that gives me some hope that um, even if even if the talent um, maybe doesn't stack up with with maybe a France or, or Germany or Spain I think that psychologically we're going into this tournament very strong and that's encouraging yeah, and also we have to remember that uh, Santos really is, uh, you could say, he's, uh, you know, as well as talking the talk, uh, he's, uh, he's really uh, done it on the pitch because uh, seven straight wins in in a competitive play, you know, that's a very good record, isn't it? So uh, let's see if, uh, you know, his optimism is well-founded, hopefully. Uh, one of the reasons people are reasonably optimistic about Portugal's chances is the set of fantastic young players who have done well at youth levels for the national team uh, who are now making their way into the full squad. Uh, this is what João Mario said when I asked him about whether Portugal have a new golden generation. I don't know if it's another golden generation, but it's without doubt a very good generation. The team's a mix of these new players who have emerged and more experienced players. I think it can be a perfect combination and if everything goes well, we can achieve great things in the Euro. Simon, in midfield especially, Portugal have an embarrassment of riches. My question for you, does Joel Martinho still have a place in the side? Uh, well, the short answer is uh, I'll give this yes, obviously still. I know he was hampered with injuries on and off with Monaco this season. He probably didn't have... Um, the season that he wanted at all uh, to our knowledge though uh, it seems he's fully fit uh, he didn't go the full 90 in either friendly the last uh, week though but maybe they're just uh, balancing out his fitness still uh, but I certainly think uh, that he has uh, he still has a skill definitely and if I'm not mistaken it was last October even uh, October 2015 where he had both the winning goal in the Denmark game to seal Portugal to Euro and the match after uh, he had the winning goal as well although Portugal were already sealed onto Euro so and considering that Portugal is likely to switch from a 4-3-3 to a 4-4-2 there's even an extra midfield spot open now so I definitely believe and agree that Matinho is a definite starter now the fourth midfielder it's going to be between Adrian and Andre Gomes. Adrian, he doesn't seem to... We've seen this before where players have played really well at the club level, 
uh, <laughs> I you know, mentioned Hugo Viana, where we all remember for years and years people were screaming for Viana to get it to the squad, but sometimes it just doesn't translate. And Adrian Silva, uh, it's yet to translate, but uh, Andre Gomes might uh, sneak that that fourth midfielder spot, or even Rafa can play the role as well. But uh, back to the original answer, uh, Matinho definitely has his has his uh, midfield spot for the tournament, at least to start the tournament. Yeah, I think probably you're right there in that his past as well. If we look to his past, it probably guarantees in that starting spot. I mean, uh, as probably after Cristiano Ronaldo, who's been Portugal's best and most consistent player for the last uh, six years or so. That's a very interesting point also you make about Adrien, because, of course, he's been absolutely superb for sporting this season. But, uh, but I agree with you. He, he's been slightly disappointing in these games so far. It was interesting that he started alongside Joao Martinho in the England friendly uh, because uh, I think perhaps those two, in my opinion, those two players are perhaps a little bit too similar. So probably have to choose one or the other. Yeah, Joao Mario definitely is going to bring the speed. He's probably the best center midfielder in the squad now. Yeah. Uh, and he's definitely the speedy one. Matinho, uh, I don't believe we've ever known him to be uh, to be using his speed, but he's just so tactically aware, and uh, he's weaved together the midfield into the attack for for years now. As you said, and we'll all remember that match against Sweden, which took us to the World Cup two summers ago. We were just speaking about that podcast. Probably we mentioned it. And, uh, yeah, we remember Matinho putting together the through balls to Ronaldo. So I, uh, I definitely can't see him losing his starting spot. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, Nathan, while we're talking about midfield, another tricky decision for Fernando Santos. Danilo or William? Yeah, I think it has to be Danilo right now. Um, with all due respect to William, you know, he's had a great season for sporting. Uh, very uh, unfortunate to miss out on the title to Benfica, who had an even more spectacular season. Uh, but when you look at Danilo, both uh, in terms of how he played for Porto and for how that play translates to the Sao, I think right now, uh, given the, the type of squad that Santos is trying to build, I think Danilo just fits better. And what I mean by that is it, it does appear obvious from the last set of friendlies that uh, Santos does want a very uh, strong defensive tactical setup and I think that's going to upset a lot of fans um, but I think it's the right choice in terms of how you posture this type of squad and Danilo um, is, brings that strong physical presence um, to the uh, center of midfield that we need. Williams, uh, Williams got the right physical characteristics but I don't think he's as aggressive as Danilo and when I watched the replay of the England match uh, I was just impressed by how willing Danilo is to get in and make the kind of challenges that break up uh, attacks before they even reach the back four. Uh, he really protected, you know, the center of our defense in a way that I don't think William is capable of. And I also think Danilo makes better decisions with the ball. Uh, I don't know if that's a factor of uh, of age or, or what it is, but he seems to be a little bit more mature in his decision-making. And I'll add that I think he brings an added element of at least some threat of goal-scoring um, from set pieces. We saw that a little bit for uh, for Porto this year. And so all things considered, I think right now Danilo is, is the better holding midfielder, and I do think uh, Santos will will start him um, in the first match against Iceland. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, that's, uh, Danilo, you're absolutely right again talking about uh, his threat from, goal, from set pieces especially uh, I think uh, Simon will correct me if I'm wrong but I think he scored uh, six goals for Porto all season didn't he which is uh, 
quite a good, uh, you know, quite a good contribution from the defensive midfield position. Yeah, I, I believe it was about six or seven. Um, he actually has a decent long-range shot as well. I'm not sure if he hit any goals, but uh, he yeah. could put his boot, he could put his boot through the ball definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, while things are looking very bright for the present and the future in midfield. Uh, the same depth of quality and youth especially is nowhere to be seen in the central defensive area. The four centre-backs Santos is taking to France have an average age of 34. Uh, Simon, uh, Pep, Ricardo Carvalho, Bruno Alves, they've all been superb servants for Portugal. And José Font, he's done well whenever he's been called upon. But uh, is it, do you think, a little bit of a risk taking such an old set of central defenders? Well, yes, of course, but it's not it's not due to their their abilities. Uh, where my main concern is sitting is obviously their fitness, and uh, more specifically, my concern is in the knockout rounds. We know the group stage; <clears throat> obviously, those matches are limited to ninety minutes. Uh, once we get to the knockout rounds, um, <clears throat> I'm sure I actually haven't looked up. Uh, uh, climate in France, but I'm going to assume that the summers are pretty hot. Uh, once we get to the knockout rounds and you're playing every four or five days, there's possibilities that you're you're going 120 minutes, and uh, that definitely that definitely wears on the leg. That wears on Ronaldo's legs, and he's uh, incredibly fit. Now think about Bruno Alves, Pep, Carvalho, who are about mid 30s. Carvalho is almost 40, so um, their fitness is is my concern. It's definitely not their not their talent. Um, they've put in class performances recently, so that's where that's where my concern is coming in. Now, I wanted to just touch a little bit upon what Danilo said and how he brings a little bit more to the game than William. Danilo actually finished off maybe the couple month and a half, two months of rotating on portal between the defensive midfielder and center back. Now, Fernando Santos last week at the press conference said that he's he's brought Danilo into the squad to play midfield, but I think when push comes to shove, if our legs at the back are lagging and we're into extra time, then with, you know, you almost don't want to burn a substitute just to swap central defender for central defender I think that Danilo would be a good option to drop into the back line whoever's legs seem to be worn remove them from the match you can bring in William into the midfield and we'll be fresher that way so that's why that's another reason as well that uh, it would be beneficial for Danilo to play or or just have him in the squad is that he's pretty versatile so um in the end, in the end, it's not their talent. Their their class doesn't age. Unfortunately, their legs do. So my my worry is uh, is playing possibly a you know two 120 minute games in one week. So uh, we'll we'll have to see how it plays out. But uh, the the easy answer is win it in 90, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, very interesting, Simon. It's a very good point about Danilo again. Uh, of course, uh, I agree with you. It could be he, he does give Santos a degree of uh, tactical flexibility, of course, because imagine, for example, if Portugal are really chase, chasing a game, if they're a goal down near the end, 
they could, uh, like I said, take off a centre-back, uh, tell the needle to drop back a bit further, if need be, and throw on another attacker, for example. Uh, or, in, in contrast, you know, they could... Uh, I'd be very interested to see, maybe if Portugal are in a reverse situation, and let's hope this is the case, if they're maybe 1-0 up, defending a lead against a, you know, a Germany or a Spain or a France with a few minutes to go, I can, uh, I can possibly see Santos bringing... Uh, William uh, on alongside Danilo and uh, just think about what a you know strong shield that will provide in front of the defence. Yeah, so, that's a good point. I yeah. can see both Danilo and William shoulder to shoulder with uh, with you know about the 80 minute mark in a match defending it out, and and it would probably it would probably work very well together. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, now especially abroad, Portugal are often accused, of course, of being a one man team. Uh, this is what William Carvalho had to say on the issue. Obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo will be marked very tightly because it's Cristiano. He's the best player in the world. But if our adversaries focus all their attention on him, it's good for Portugal because it will free up the rest of the players. Portugal is not one player, it's a team, and the quality will make the difference, not just one player. Nathan, Portugal's 2014 World Cup campaign was ruined by poor fitness and injuries, Uh, none so harmful to the Celestown's chances, of course, than that of captain Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, Anyone who watched the Champions League final could clearly see that Ronaldo was far from fully fit. Uh, Do you fear a repeat of what we saw in Brazil, and despite Williams' insistence on the collective rather than the individual, how crucial is a fully fit Ronaldo to Portugal's chances of thriving in France? You know, well, I will admit that this team can't win Euro 2016 without Ronaldo. But I'll, I'll add that Ronaldo can't win this tournament by himself without the collective merit of this team. Um, and we, we had this discussion, of course, as Celestial fans before every major tournament pretty much since 2006. And I'm reminded a lot of Euro 2012 where the, the general consensus was the squad was very poor and that Ronaldo would have to, to win the matches for us. And in the group of death, if you remember, in our first two matches, Ronaldo actually played, in my opinion, quite poorly by his standards. And we still, um, you know, narrowly and perhaps unfairly uh, lost 1-0 to Germany and were able to beat Denmark. And if you remember in that match, Ronaldo actually had two very uncharacteristic misses, one of which was a 1v1 situation with the keeper, uh, and the squad was still good enough to, to pull through and uh, and win without him. Um, and so... Um, yeah, yeah, so I was just saying, Nathan, I remember that very well. Uh, I always, I tend to say, I think Ronaldo had possibly his worst ever match in the Portugal shirt against Denmark. And then, of course, one of his best ever in the very next match against Holland. But yeah, carry on. Yeah, I think that illustrates my my point. I mean, the you know these are two sides of the same coin. I mean, we we can't we can't take Ronaldo's performance and say that it's all that matters, um, and that if he plays well, we win; and if he doesn't, we lose. I mean, we've seen historically this to not be true, and so I don't I don't want fans to come into the, the match, or supporters or the media. I think it's very unfair thinking that uh, if Ronaldo isn't fully fit, we have no chance. Especially when you look at our group. If we could survive a group of death with Ronaldo not playing well in 2012, we can definitely survive against Iceland and Hungary, and I think even even Austria. 
uh, even if Ronaldo isn't completely fit. Now, having said that, um, Ronaldo's health is something that that's going to be uh, guarded like a national uh, secret, national <laughs> treasure. And so, I think that uh, at this point, for me to to try to speculate as to how fit he really is is um, isn't really helpful. I, I do think that it's been a long season. He played 120 minutes in the Champions League final, so clearly I think he's going to bring tired legs into this tournament. My opinion, though, is, and again, this is just speculation, I do not think this set of injuries he's had with his legs are as severe as they were in 2014. And so at this point, I don't think we have any real reason to think that he won't be um, in the kind of physical condition that will will certainly cause our opponents some some problems. Um, furthermore, I, I'll remind uh, listeners, we have we have a lot of talent. We saw that against Norway. We were disciplined uh, tactically, did not allow Norway too many chances, but we, we won that game on individual quality, even without Ronaldo. And so I think especially against Iceland and Hungary, we stack up very well against them on the individual basis. Uh, you add Ronaldo to that mix, you add his long-range shooting ability, you add his, uh, his threat on set pieces, um, headers off of corner corner kicks, and I think that we're looking at uh, uh, lining up pretty well against a lot of the teams that we'll face. There's no real reason to think that Ronaldo's fitness is going to make or break our chances, at least until, I would say, maybe the uh, the knockout rounds, and then it's anyone's game any, uh, at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. And talking about Cristiano brings us on to Portugal's forward line, which we haven't discussed so far. Eder is the only recognised striker in the squad, and he seems to have found some form in recent months. But it appears, uh, as Simon said a while ago, that uh, Santos, Fernando Santos, will be opting for a mobile front two in a 4-4-2, uh, at least to start with, probably with Nani and Ronaldo up front. Uh, Quaresma has done well since coming back into the national team, and Rafa Silva, uh, they, those two may well have a role to play. Uh, Simon... Uh, how's this going to pan out? How do you see Portugal's attacking line functioning at Euro 2016? Uh, our good old Achilles heel, uh, once again, is, is probably one of the biggest question marks in the squad. Um, we, uh, we have some young strikers that are just not ready for the tournament, so uh, Eder has squeaked into the squad again, as you said, uh, although he's on a decent form. Uh, he's, he put in some goals at Lille. And I believe he scored the third at Norway as well. So we will see Ronaldo and Nani up front. Uh, I don't think his injury issues seem to be as bad as Brazil 2014, like Nathan said. Um, but uh, he will start with Nani. Um, I think in any other squad, Nani probably would not have his starting spot so secure. It's just there's really nobody else. Quaresma keeps proving that he could be a you know, a good weapon off the bench, so it's it's almost like he solidified himself into that spot. Uh, Rafa, uh, uh, I don't I don't really know if he's played in a role in like a free range role up top before. I think I've just seen him play in midfield and on the wing. So it, it's almost by default that it, it will be Nani and Ronaldo just uh, you know using the open space up front. Uh, once again, there's going to be no set in stone striker. Uh, Eder will be will be used as a sub. Uh, I'm still cautiously optimistic about him, I'll say, but uh, it, it's likely to be the Achilles heel of the squad again, especially if 
if Ronaldo's not not able to play at full speed, he's gonna be he's gonna be easier to mark. So hopefully the goals we can find from from somewhere else. And uh, the new the new formation though I think will suit will suit the squad well because Ronaldo used to play really isolated when he would be playing in the nine role in a four four three formation. They would just get two or three defenders around them and then if you're looping in crosses from the wing it's 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 futile it's not really going to work we, we've seen spain and barcelona win with a false nine for years and years now albeit they're obviously their overall squad quality is is much better than than portugal's but uh i think i think we're going to have issues up front again and and if portugal does go anywhere once again it's going to be it's going to have to be ronaldo taking us there yeah well, it's uh, of course, I think we've all seen from uh, Santos so far, and as Nathan alluded to earlier, he really does set a lot of stall by creating a, you know, a, a strong team from the defensive point of view. Uh, I mentioned that winning run in qualifying, in Euro 2016 qualifying, seven straight games. It's quite impressive, of course, to, that group uh, wasn't so straightforward as people might have thought. You know, Serbia, Denmark, even Albania... Uh, they are all fairly decent level teams and Portugal beat them all but that every single one of their victories was just a one goal victory a one goal margin of victory yeah. and, uh, it's interesting what you were saying there earlier about uh, and Nathan of course Ronaldo also being a threat at set pieces uh, I think you know we're used to seeing Portugal they've got this reputation for being very fluid attacking football playing some you know some, some beautiful slick passing to create chances but I think actually this Portugal side could be very dangerous from set pieces. Uh, if you think about, we've got you know Pep and uh, Ricardo Carvalho, who are both dangerous. We've already talked about Danilo, who's also uh, notched quite a few headers for Porto uh, during the season. You know, I think that could be uh, that could be a, a bit of a ploy for Portugal. Yeah, I had tweeted the other day. I know opinions are not very high on Bruno Alves right now for obvious reasons. But uh, putting that aside, I think in an emergency situation, I'm speaking about within the last five minutes or so, uh, he actually is is a, a great scoring touch, and he's uh, excellent in the air. I think Bruno Alves as an emergency striker can be very useful. Yeah, yeah, he's actually Portugal's record goal-scoring defender of all time. Scored 10 goals for the Celestial. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I've also tweeted that. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, although... Obviously, we hope it, it doesn't come to this. Uh, if Portugal are desperately in need of a goal, uh, that could be a ploy. Yep. Okay, uh, okay Nathan, uh, now let's have a little look at the opposition. Uh, Group F has pitted Portugal against teams you certainly wouldn't describe as weak, but I think it's fair to say none of them are genuine contenders to win the, the whole thing. Uh, what sort of problems do you think Iceland, Austria and Hungary may be posing Portugal? Uh, and if we look a little further ahead, uh, the Celestial will almost certainly have an extremely tough opponent in the round of 16, uh, possibly Italy or Belgium, uh, and they could be facing uh, England, we've already talked about, uh, maybe uh, quite early in the tournament as well. Uh, how do you see Portugal stacking up against these nations? Well, starting off in the group stage, when we when we consider first Iceland and, uh, and Hungary, these are the uh, type of uh, teams that normally give us problems, um, especially uh, if they they hold out defensively and score the first goal and force us to chase the match. Uh, we've seen 
numerous times over the course of our history, including recent history, like, for instance, against uh, Bulgaria in March, where uh, teams will score, um, in some cases, a fortuitous opening goal forced us to chase the match and end up closing us out 1-0. We also saw a similar circumstance at the beginning of qualifying against uh, Albania when we lost 1-0. That was uh, uh, Paolo Bento's last match in charge of the Silasau led to his demise. And so I think when we consider Iceland and Hungary in particular, these these teams concern me not because of their talent, not because, for instance, Iceland was, was pretty good in qualifying. I do think that this being their first international tournament, they are going to have uh, a learning curve to negotiate. Hungary are just lucky to be here, uh, in my opinion. And so I don't, I don't think in terms of quality, um, there's anything to be concerned about. But I, I do think tactically there's a little bit of concern as to how efficiently we'll be able to break them down and prevent them from scoring a counterattack goal. If we can negotiate that hurdle, I like us uh, against Iceland and Hungary. Now, focusing more on Austria, in my opinion, we don't stack up very well with Austria for a number of reasons, and I'm discussing this in my in my forthcoming article in a little more detail. But the bottom line is that Austria have a spine of predominantly German Bundesliga talent. Traditionally, Portuguese players don't square off very well with the German-honed uh, talent, and so that, that concerns me a little bit. They have some energetic and dynamic players in that squad, uh, they have a Premier League winner in their squad uh, in, uh, at, at the left-back position. I think that Austria will give us some problems. But having said that, I still expect Portugal to win the group, uh, possibly on goal differential if we draw the match with Austria. And then going into the knockout rounds uh, as a group winner, it's probable we face either Italy or Sweden. I think we match up really well with Sweden, as we've seen in the past. We have good history against Sweden. Against Italy, I don't think we can say the same, although I'll remind uh, listeners that Italy are going through a personnel crisis of their own with Claudio Marchisio and Marco Verratti out injured. There's no Mario Balotelli in this squad. There's no Andrea Pirlo. And so I think that they're missing some creative spark, a little bit of midfield ingenuity as well. And so, and, and then you look at their uh, the striker ranks for Italy and who's going to score their goals. I mean, they have Graziano Pelle from Southampton, but I think all things considered, if we go into a round of 16 match versus Italy or Sweden, I think we can overcome uh, them and, and get to the quarterfinals. And then uh, we're probably looking at England in the quarterfinals. And our tournament history with with England is very complex. I don't want to give away any any more spoilers from my article, but let's just say that against England, uh, that that's going to be a very emotional game. And I think that uh, it's it's one of those games that's pretty much too. Uh, too close to call, but if we were to survive that match and get into the semifinals, truly anything can happen at that stage of the tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, of course, one thing we have to bear in mind if Portugal do play Italy in the round of 16 is Italy, of course, historically had a, have a very, very good record against Portugal. Portugal have a very poor record against them, but in the last time they met uh, when Fernando Santos was manager, a little over a year ago, I think, Portugal actually came out on top, 1-1-0, uh, Ed Air scoring the goal. So uh, maybe that could give them uh, a little boost in confidence if that match does come to pass. That that goal by Eder, by the way, it was a friendly, but it mattered in the FIFA World Rankings, and that 
actually knocked Italy down in the rankings far enough that they were put into draw pot number two for Euro 2016, and that's why they ended up getting relegated to the second draw pot, yeah, and ended up in the group that they're in right now with with uh, Belgium, I believe. So even though it was a friendly and it was Eder's first goal for the Celestial after 20 matches, it actually it actually knocked Italy down. But uh, I, I know that on paper their squad is probably the worst I've ever seen personally, but Italy find a way to, to come together as a team. Yeah, yeah, very interesting, Simon. I didn't realize that. I Just going back to that friendly, I remember that friendly was... Just quite a, a feisty game we can say uh, for a friendly especially and uh, you know it, that's uh, I think whatever you say about Fernando Santos uh, his results have really uh, you could say really speak for themselves of course we beat Italy we also beat Argentina and both of those victories were uh, after four decades of a not tasting victory against against those two nations. So. Yeah, with late goals as well. Santos seems to have a, a much mentally stronger team, and he just he just seems to scrape out these wins even at the death. Oh, and, so many, uh, so many, wasn't there yeah, in qualifying? Yeah. What it must have been was it two or three? Literally, ninetieth uh, yeah. minute or stoppage time goals. Yeah, yeah. So, so Portugal. Not only do I think we look better on paper, but we're we're mentally much stronger as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we began this pod with a quote from José Font uh, talking up Portugal's chances. Uh, for our last quote, uh, let's see what Danilo said about how he rates the Celestial in relation to other sides when I caught up with him during this past season. We're a team that has a big future, and it's good to see young players like João Mario and myself representing the Celestial. Portugal can go shoulder to shoulder with any team in the world. Portugal can go shoulder to shoulder with any team in the world. This is football, and it could all go horribly wrong, of course, but in my opinion, it's great to hear such optimism and ambition from Portugal's players. So, fellas, it's that time of the podcast when we all get the chance to make perfect fools out of ourselves. I want your predictions of where you think Portugal will finish at the 2016 European Championship. No ifs and buts. In one sentence, how will Portugal do and why? Uh, Simon. Uh, let me think here. We've, we have done pretty well in some Euros recently. Um, I think we're looking a lot better than 2014 in Brazil, so I'll, I, I can stretch us in the semi-finals unfortunately I'm I'm worried about our our legs at the back and possibly Ronaldo's fitness so I, I think the fitness might end up doing us in a little bit but I think semi-finals would be a great run okay and Nathan certainly hard to fit this in one sentence uh, I would <laughs> say but if I had to if I had to try I'd say Portugal uh, win group F uh, we win our round of 16 match Beat England in the quarterfinals and uh, fade at the semi-final stage of this tournament. Well, that's very complete. Well, I don't want to be repetitive, but I <laughs> already had a little think about this myself, and that's uh, exactly where I had Portugal end- ending up in the semi-finals. I think, uh, of course, this is such an exciting time, really, to be a Portugal fan. We've got some great young talent, but. I think uh, we may have to wait uh, a couple of years before it really, truly flourishes. 
Okay, uh, so I'm going semi-finals as well. Let's see uh, if that happens. I think that would be a, a reasonable run. Well, unfortunately, time has beaten us. I hope this podcast has further whetted your appetite for what has the makings of a thrilling tournament for Portuguese fans. Don't forget, we'll be covering Euro 2016 in detail on the site. That's www.portugol.net. It's P-O-R-T-U-G-O-A-L.net. We'll have a steady stream of in-depth articles about all aspects of the Seller Sales campaign, uh, including, of course, reporting from the ground, from France, uh, from Nathan and myself. Uh, we've had a terrific response to all the articles posted so far on Euro 2016. Uh, I noticed, Nathan, uh, yesterday in one of your replies to a comment, you said that you read uh, every single comment, uh, and I do that myself. And so please uh, get them, keep them coming, and uh, send in your opinions and questions for us to, to answer or the Portugal community at large to answer. Uh, Nathan, look forward to seeing you soon, and thank you for your time. Hey, thanks, Tom. It's going to be a beautiful summer. I can't wait. <laughs> I second that. Simon, thank you again for your superb insight, as usual. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me on, and uh, looking forward to the tournament. Yeah, and thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We'll be back soon, and the only way I can finish this particular podcast is to say, Forza Portugal! Portugal!